Welcome back to What's on Our Screens. I'm Ryan, as always. Bryce is not joining us this week, um, but we do have a guest. Julia has joined us. Hello. Julia, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Julia um, Grantham, as I've been introduced. I'm a senior at the University of Tulsa, and I'm studying film studies and also economics, which is a fun combination that raises a lot of eyebrows, but um, yeah, I guess that's kind of me. Probably my favorite genres of film I really love. Um, I don't know. I feel like this, this is kind of a cop-out answer to say that you like dramedies because that incorporates a lot of different things. But um, I tend to like films that are not marketing themselves as comedies or specifically as dramas. Or if they do, they take a heavy dose of the other thing from it because leaning one way or the other too much kind of my soul a little bit so I don't know that probably and I would also say as much as I love film I'm probably more of a tv person honestly mm -hmm. than film but um yeah I guess me question mark <laughs> so based on all that um I would have to assume that you're watching Succession I actually did just start watching Succession good <laughs> I did I had it I've been seeing people talk about it and I was like I don't know about I honestly hadn't really seen what the premise of the show was mm -hmm. and I was like this is just like some I thought it was like some like political law drama and I was like this I don't know if I can do this and then I actually read the premise of it because I kept hearing people talking about it. I was like I gotta I gotta do a little more research into this and I found out what the press actually was and so yeah I finished the first season a couple days ago I think maybe early, early last week something like that okay yeah yeah, yeah. I am in love with the show it's so good it's great it's so so good i'm enjoying it immensely everyone on the show is terrible and i love it <laughs> yeah yeah and all of the actors are so good in the oh, show fantastic it's interesting the it gives me kind of it less it, i don't know it's more dramatic than veep but mm -hmm. in the sense oh, that yeah. veep in the sense that veep there's pretty much no redeemable character on veep mm -hmm. gives me a similar thing with succession i mean currently where i am in the show Greg is probably the most redeemable character, but I have a feeling they're going to turn him very dark very quickly. I could be wrong, but I feel like they're going to poison his soul. So um, um, I don't know how much hope I have for his character being. Well, I won't spoil anything for you because I am I am up to date on watching the new episodes as they come out. But okay. it's it's just as good as it is in the first season. Oh, it, right. it just continues to roll. It's not stopping anytime soon. I'm so excited to see um, where it's going next. What did you think of the first season? Um, just as a whole. I thought, I thought it was okay. I thought it was the, I just thought they did, like, the arc was immaculate. I don't know. Just, it's one of the best, I would say it's maybe the best um, executed American TV shows that I've seen in a while. I've seen a lot of British shows recently that I really, I would say either, I would say next to, I don't know, maybe Barry, which is a very different yeah. vibe, but next to Barry, it's one of the best american tv shows that i've seen in a while so yeah i would agree um barry as well i'm um hbo just puts out <laughs> really HBO, kills it. hbo knows what they're doing and i feel like some of them catch on and some of them don't and succession especially um with the two-year break that it's had because of the pandemic um it's allowed people to like find it yeah. and start to pick up on it and i think it's really starting to gain like wide attention yeah. and it makes me so happy because this show is so so good it's so interesting seeing how the pandemic has affected people's watching habits 
um, and seeing which shows that maybe went under the radar for a long time finally got picked up. So I think that definitely happened with Shit's Creek, right? Yeah. Like it, it was already starting to gain, gain traction, but the, the pandemic hit and everyone was home and they were like, oh, wow, a sitcom that has like six seasons that we haven't seen. Wow, we should watch this. And then everyone was like, this show is amazing. Um, but yeah, I think it is very interesting to see how viewing habits have shifted or shows that got a second wind because of people having more downtime to just, you know, sit on their couch and press play on some random streaming show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This week, we're just kind of talking about what we've been watching. Is there anything that you've been watching that you want to talk about? Um, I mean, I honestly did kind of a sprint, I feel like, over the last weekend of watching some films. Um, I mean, we both went and watched Last Night in Soho with the TU Film Club. So that's probably, you know, the most recent um, theatrical release that I've seen. Um, what did you think of it? I really, really enjoyed it. It it reminded me how great of a filmmaker Edgar Wright is. Like, there was parts, like, the one that really stood out to me is there's a part in the movie where Thomas and McKenzie's character is, like, I don't, like, flustered and is, like, you know, rushing around and things are getting all kind of fuzzy for her and there's ghosts and stuff, like, attacking her. And I was just thinking about how in order to make you feel more anxious, the the camera's like whipping around and looking at all these ghosts and instead of just like making it like a fast whip so it's like blurry he just wasn't focusing in on any of them it was just all unfocused and i was like i can think of about a hundred filmmakers who would have just like whipped around to try and make you feel panicked like that but by just not focusing the camera on anything it just made me feel on edge because i was like why isn't it like you know why aren't i seeing these things clearly yeah. and i was like that's such an inventive it's it's something i hadn't seen before to convey that feeling and i was like that's it's <laughs> really smart yeah he just continues to surprise me as as a filmmaker and everything that you can do i listened to a, a podcast today and apparently he tried to do as much of the film practically as possible including all the mirror scenes and it sounded like the the scene where they're dancing and Thomas and Mackenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy's characters are like switching in and out as they're like going off screen. And I was like, that must have taken so much time and practice and rehearsing. And yeah, I would, I would be, I can't imagine how much time they spent rehearsing that with camera to get it right. Because that, that had to have been a very difficult shot to complete. I didn't know that all of that was practical. That's very impressive. Yeah. It makes me really happy, actually, because that's something that I have found, especially, I don't know, probably, I don't know, I'm not going to, I shouldn't say this because I don't want to sound too Scorsese-esque, but um, I think with the rise of, you know, these huge blockbusters that rely so heavily on CGI, um, I don't know, I really appreciate really great practical effects. And... Sometimes I watch shows and they, they just decide to use CG. I'm like, well, you could have just used actual like wardrobe or you could have used, um, gone to your special effects guys for practical effects. And I'm like, that would have been to me a lot more impressive and more grounding in being able to watch the film. Cause it, even the best CGI still feels artificial to me at least for the most part. And so I really appreciate it when, you know, they actually are able to do it. Um, like you know Chris Nolan hates using um, hates using um, After Effects so that's always really impressive seeing all the things that he can do in his filmmaking as well that's all practical like, yeah yeah 
um, I feel like the best use of special effects is when you when it's going to complement the practical effects that you've used on set and caught in camera because it makes the the practical stuff grounds the the virtual yes. and the, the computer generated stuff yeah if you if they can complement each other then that's that's the um, ideal right like you don't want to have to rely on practical effects for things that um, really practical effects can't do well that's that's definitely where you want to bring in the actors but um, yeah, I think where we come to those moments where it's entirely being relied on the after effects because they're like, oh, we've got the budget. We can just do it in actors. We'll just have them draw on their costumes. I'm just kind of like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I, like being, I like being able to look at something and being able to imagine that I could actually feel it. I don't know if that sounds weird, but I'm going to stick with it anyway. Yeah, well, that makes sense. So what were your thoughts on last night in Soho? Well, speaking of me talking about wanting to be able to reach out and feel costumes on the screen, which is a very weird thought, but um, oh my god, the costuming. I am a sucker for a good wardrobe. I know that that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I love costuming, and I think that the wardrobe was immaculate. I mean, it had to be, right? Because yeah. it's based around the girl who's going to um, to uh, fashion school. But I mean, the costume was wonderful. And I'm really, yeah. really happy. Um, I mean, it was just beautiful. The whole film was gorgeous. Cinematography, the lighting. Oh my God. The Cheers to the Grips and Genie department because they did a fantastic job. Like the lighting design was wonderful on that film. Um, I do feel bad for anyone who was not warned before going into that movie if they were epileptic. I hope that they didn't have any problems because certainly there were a lot of flashing lights in it, but um, I just thought it worked really well tonally in the film. It made it, it balanced that kind of, they were able to teeter into the, you know, using the lighting to make, you know, be arresting and scary in moments, but then contributed to like that fun, more easy going like oh we're in the 60s and everything's groovy like vibe that they wanted more at the beginning so it i think it helped um tie those two aspects of the film together really well i thought that it was again beautiful like beautifully shot beautifully lit um edgar wright making he's one who's like obviously a big proponent of film and everything and likes to delve into genres and stuff so it was interesting to see him doing his horror movie and as a horror film i thought that it was really good and it like slowly built up our like distrust of the point of view that we're seeing from the character and i thought that that was really effective in like making you question everything that you're watching Okay, so I have a couple questions that are less to do with the technical prowess of the film and more to do just with like story things. Yeah. Was were there anything that you that were meant to be twists or appeared to be twists that I guess spoiler alert before yeah. we go into this, but yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, that you did that did not take you by surprise or things that did take you by surprise, I guess just like plot wise. How did you feel about that? Yeah, um I felt like a lot of the twists like twists were kind of predictable the fact that the old man wasn't the killer was like yeah okay i kind of figured he wasn't it would have been too obvious yeah i think the only one that really kind of took me by surprise but wasn't like surprising just kind of like oh and like kind of like rushed over me is like oh this makes more sense and this puts everything into context was the fact that she was killing all the men mm -hmm. 
and not that one of them killed her. I think that that was the only real twist in the story that was like, oh, okay, that that was smart. But everything else, I was kind of like, I kind of saw that or coming or kind of understood that that's probably where this is going. I feel like, I don't know if maybe it's just that, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it because I... I definitely every single t- like time like a character was introduced, I was like, oh, like when they when we were introduced to the to Sandy like as an old woman, I was like, oh, that's Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, oh, that's that's the blonde girl. I bet you anything that's her when she's older. And then and I was like, and she's creepy. She probably has killed some people. <laughs> but yeah. then like the story went on. I was like, well, maybe not. I was like. Oh, maybe the, maybe not because that would be too obvious. And then it was it was that. I mean, the same thing with the guy. I actually think they did too good of a job casting the younger version. Like Sam was it Sam Claflin who pay, played the younger um, um, version of the old man? I think it was. I think Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Well, Matt Smith played the manager, but the one who was the cop, who was actually the young version oh, of the old man. Oh. I could be wrong, but I, I, well, I don't know because I didn't look up the credits, but I just, yes, it was. He's, okay. He is in cast. I so. thought that it, it's him. Yeah. They did too good of a job casting him because I was like, well, man, if that's not supposed to be the older man as a young guy, they, they, they should have cast him as the younger version of him because he looks identical to him. Yeah. So that was kind of like, especially with the way that they were, like, their conversation was worded. I was like, oh that's the old guy like this is this conversation is too is too specific this is that he's the old guy so in that i felt like maybe they should have blown by their conversation more quickly if they were wanting to make that more of a surprise but um i don't know then again they probably also needed some more grounding for us to understand his character a little bit better a little bit better i mean i don't know Another question I had for you was how you felt about the um, mom in the mirror. I I thought that it was fine. I mean, I think it was mainly used as a like a plot device to like mm-hmm. instill in you that she's um, her mother was schizophrenic or had some type of severe mental problem, and um, I think it was just meant to like remind you of that. And like, is, you know, is, does she have the same problem? You know, is, is she seeing her mom in the mirror because she's actually seeing her in the mirror? Or is that just like her imagination? Or, I think that it was a good like motif of how the city kind of ate up these ambitious young women, like it did Sandy and like it did to her mother who was trying to go to fashion school like she is. And, um, kind of how it was starting to get to Thomas and Mackenzie's character and how she like kind of fought back against it. So I thought that it was effective at some points, but also at other points, it's just being used as like a plot device to um, make you kind of question the character, the main character, I guess. Uh, yeah, to me, it wasn't doing, it was not doing enough. I understand why it was in there. Like, I agree. I think it was in there to plant that seed of doubt, kind of add to some of the, you know, no, you know, to whatever. But I, I don't know. I just, I felt like I either needed more from it or they could have, I don't know. I just, I don't, I either they could have left it as like a mention throughout 
but not necessarily have the physical manifestation. Or I thought that they needed to keep it more consistently there throughout the entire film with maybe a little bit more context. Because I felt like we had that in there for maybe the first third of the film, maybe, if that. And then we had it at the very end. But they kind of dropped it for like Mm -hmm. a large portion of the movie. And I would have liked to have seen her mom come back in a couple other places more towards the midpoint and um, in the second half of Act 2 as opposed to just the beginning and just the end, really. I don't know where they would have utilized that. Um, Maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe instead of the guy grabbing her hand when she's going to go stab the girl in the in the library, maybe like her mom's, you know, her spiritual manifestation or whatever is like that. But I don't know why that would have been a thing. But I don't know. I just, I, I felt like it needed to do a little bit more or be reduced to more of a, um, I don't know, just a mention throughout the background as opposed to like, it felt like it was set up to be more than it was. And that's what bothered me about it. Yeah, I, I agree. And that was like my one gripe with the movie was that I felt like the plot or the story of her character was a little bit weak and i agree that like just like a a scene or like a mention of her mother in the middle or like another scene with her character might have just like made the movie but yeah i don't know and maybe there was one and it ended up on the cutting room floor we'll never well i say we'll never know i don't know wait until the uh the uh, bonus features come out and we'll see the deleted scenes i don't know but um yeah i agree i think we just needed you know maybe one extra scene would have been helpful in contributing to her story arc but those were those were kind of the general thoughts on last night so i think yeah yeah i agree Anya taylor joy has taken off but i'm excited to see uh, thomas and mckenzie take off as well mm-hmm. because yeah, she was great yeah she's really good she's i was looking at her imdb like yesterday or something but she's got like three movies coming up this oh, wow. year oh she was in old she's yeah. in this and then she's in The Power of the Dog earlier this year. Okay, yeah, I'm excited about that movie coming out. That's the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Carrie Mulligan movie. Um, Jesse Plemons. Oh, wait, no, uh, Kristen Dunst. Kristen Dunst, yeah. Kristen Dunst, sorry, my bad. You know, they're both blonde. <laughs> I feel like I, they're both blonde in, like, mid-30s, early, yeah, mid to late 30s, something like that. I'm going to give myself a pass for that. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'll use that as a transition to talk about Spider-Man because I watched that this weekend. Which one? Um, the original. Okay, Tobey Maguire. Oh yeah, and I guess Kristen Dunst. Yeah, yeah, of course. While I'm doing my like homework, like head down in my laptop homework, like I'm taking some drawing classes and some computer animation art classes. Instead of music, I'll just throw like a movie on. Sure. Like in a smaller tab over here. And uh, yeah, so I threw Spider-Man on because I found it on like Hulu or something. I was going to say, are you are you about to admit to pirating films? But then no, no, then no, Hulu no, no, no. came through and a legitimate stream. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I watched it and like half watched it, but was not super impressed. <laughs> like... I, I I grew up with this movie and I love this movie to death, but also I was like, this is not as great as I remember it Spider-Man being. Spider-Man 2 is where it's at. Spider-Man 2. Now, see, I started Spider-Man 2 and I haven't finished it yet, but oh, um, criminal. I have a real problem with James Franco. Okay. All right. Is it um, just in general or is not it specifically Not James himself? Franco, but the writing of his character. His character. 
because after the first movie, his his dad, the Green Goblin, gets killed and he thinks sure. that it's Spider-Man. Yes. And then all of the second movie is just him being like him like funding Otto Octavius's research and then him being really angry about Spider-Man killing his dad and wanting to find Spider-Man so he can kill him. Yeah, you know. <laughs> they were they weren't it's a superhero movie. They weren't too considered con- they weren't too concerned with his character development. They were like, eh, yeah. we'll use him in this way. We'll use him like this. Yeah, like they, they throw at the beginning of the second one, they throw a little surprise party for Peter. Yeah. And then, like, twice, Harry brings it up that he takes pictures of Spider-Man. He's like, if you knew who he was, you would tell me, wouldn't you, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> but that is so true. He's, like, really intense. He's like, tell me, <laughs> tell like, me. Dude, it's his birthday party. <laughs> And I can just see Toby Maguire kind of going like fish-eyed as he's like looking up at James Franco being like, yeah, man, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I have to say this, though. As as goofy as I feel like Toby Maguire's Spider-Man is in a lot of ways, I actually really like how dopey his Peter Parker is. Yeah, I really liked it as well, especially the second one, because I feel like he was just too old to be playing a high school student. Yes, But absolutely. in the second one where he's playing a college student, I'm like, I buy that. Yeah. He definitely looks like someone who's going to college and is, like, not showing up to classes <laughs> and uh, has a job delivering pizza. And, yes. Um, I also have a problem with that. <laughs> Real quick, his boss at the very beginning is like, you know, oh, you got to deliver these pizzas in, like, nine minutes or whatever. And he's like, you gotta go 42 blocks in seven minutes. And I was like, I don't think that's possible. (laughs) Capitalism, it's the grind. Um, No, I think, oh gosh, but speaking of, speaking of the grind, I love J.K. Simmons as Jonah Jameson. Truly, truly one of my favorite characters in any superhero film. I love him as Jonah Jameson. Is, is it J. J Jonah, Jonah Jameson? Jameson. Yeah. yeah, I knew there was another J in there somewhere, but uh, no, I love his character, and I am so. I think he's coming back for. He, he he's is still coming he back. Is, yeah. I'm so excited. I love J.K. Simmons though, so this is this is a good day for me. Great day. Yeah. Every every time he's on screen, he just steals everyone else. One hundred percent. No, no one is going to challenge him for being the star of the screen in that moment. See, steals every scene. Steals every scene. Also, sorry, this is off topic, but it is going back to the first one. Speaking of practical effects, I, 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 I know that this is a very well known, um, you know, fact. Wow, I just accidentally kicked off um, a pair of headphones. Oh, that's okay. So, you know. A little note for our listeners. Um, but I the scene where he catches MJ and all of the food mm-hmm. on the tray oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. is real. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's, I mean, it took them like, you know, a hundred takes or something insane. But like, that's so impressive that they did that, you know, yeah. practically. That's it's crazy. That's it looks fake. Yeah. <laughs> it looks fake, but it's real. Yeah. It's, it, and it, it makes my heart happy, very happy. I was thinking about some of the what was CG and what wasn't um, when I was watching the movie. <laughs> sure. And uh, the scene where he gets bit by the spider, I was really curious oh, if yeah. the spider was or not, because it doesn't like it. <laughs> it does not look like a real spider. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they show like a close up of it like biting into his hand, 
and I was really curious. And then it like falls on the floor and like crawls away and stuff. And I was really curious what was CG and what wasn't, just like watching it really closely because it all looks really, really good, especially for 2001, 2002, yeah. whenever it was. Yeah, I have no idea. That's a really great question that we, we should go <laughs> research after this. Yeah, um, I have I have DVD somewhere of it. So oh, yeah. I'll probably like... pop that in and see if they have some, some behind-the-scenes stuff or something about how they did all the visual effects for that oh one of my favorite like um another favorite um you know behind the scenes movie factoid thing about the spider-man movies is that there's a scene in the second movie when um i don't remember what the event is but um spider-man swoops in to save mj and you can see as they're showing the shot of him swinging through the air that it's just a mannequin that she's holding on to because he doesn't move at all there's like no flexing of anything it's just like a piece of it's just a mannequin she's just like grasping onto a mannequin and there's a green screen going in the background i'm like mm, cinema at its finest yeah. so they you know they were pulling out all the stops for the original spider-man movies they were uh, is there anything else that you watched this weekend that you want to talk about real quick? Um, um, oh gosh, what is, I don't, mm, okay, so I did see, there were a couple things I watched for the first time and we don't need to necessarily touch, I can give you like, you know, my, my quote for each yeah, one, sure. I guess. So I watched um, Nightmare Before Christmas for the first time, the mm -hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, gosh, this is so controversial. I don't fully understand the hype behind the movie. I mean, it's it was good, but I didn't love it. Um, I also, I know everyone talks about the score. I think that it was nice. I liked, the music was nice. It's not necessarily my style. I think it fit the tone of the movie well, but I think it feels like one of those movies, similarly to my incredible disappointment at finally watching both um, Forrest Gump and High School Musical that you had to kind of grow up watching it I think to have a full appreciation of it um, and so I don't same thing with Elf actually I think I don't have the nostalgia factor for it because it wasn't something that I watched when I was younger but I'm glad that I've seen it because now um, I know more of the lyrics to the This Is Halloween song so um, I'll hold on to that I think yeah forward. yeah um Kind of feel the same way i watched it for the first time about a year ago and was not really like i was like okay this is cool and everything and then just this weekend i watched a video about how they made it and it's mm -hmm. mostly stop motion there's some like effects put in afterwards like fire and stuff like that they made um in order to make jack skellington's like face and his emotion seem like real and a little bit more fluid than the stop motion of everything else they made heads for the entire this. range of human emotion that they could show with his face and then they just switched them out oh yeah in between shots <laughs> I was I, like, i've seen that yeah, yeah the craft that went into it was the craft is impeccable for what went into the creation of that movie, for sure. Especially, yeah, especially with Jack. They did a, his character design is is pretty close to flawless. It's great, um, but as far as the actual um, story goes, I don't know that I was. I don't know. Just the, the the end product as a whole is not necessarily my my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, and that's understandable. And I, like like you said, there's there's a lot of films that people have a lot of love for. But a lot of it's like 
you if you grew up with it, then you really, really feel attached to this one thing. Other people, it's like, I didn't grow up with it. So it's like, yeah, it's fine. Like, sure. it, it's good. I can appreciate it, but it's just not my thing. I mean, mine, I was telling you before we started, mine is 100% um, Princess Diaries 2, the royal engagement. Um, I can bet you almost anything, no one is coming out of that movie saying, now that, that is an Oscar-worthy <laughs> piece of cinema. But it does have so many great quotes from it. And I think that I, I think that's what I need for a solid movie. I need at least three quotes that I will use and no one's going to know at all what I'm talking about. So um, at least to accomplish that with it. Um, but I think that's, you know, people pull those same things from those movies from their childhood. But that, do you have one that you feel like is like one that's close to your heart probably is not going to get a uh, certified fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes? Transformers the movie. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> The duality of man, Princess Diaries 2 and Transformers the movie. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I just watched it in theaters like a couple weeks ago because it was like the 35th anniversary or something. Um, that was a fun experience. Oh, but, I'm yeah, sure. I've, I've, I probably watch it at least once a year. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than me. I probably watch Princess Diaries like three times a year. <laughs> I watch it way too much for the normal human. But you know what? That my favorite film quote of all time is in that movie. Actually, that's not true. My top two, um, my top two are um, from Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm -hmm. There's a scene where um, oh, I should know the kid's name, but I can never remember it. But the um, Mr. Fox's son is in is in science lab. Mm -hmm. He's in like chem class, and he's sitting next to this girl, and she's flirting with his cousin, and. He's like, I thought you were my lab partner. And she turns and she says, I am. And then he says, no, you're not. You're disloyal. And the no, you're not, you're disloyal is, is my favorite. I think that's my favorite quote from a film. But from Princess Diaries, there's a moment in which they're walking to show Mia her new bedroom that they've been renovating for a really long time. And it took too long because they had um, one of the, I think it's one of the, um, like, not Senate members, but like the council members' cousins were was brought in to do it. She's like, this is a very important lesson for you, Mia. Nepotism belongs in the arts, not in plumbing. And that's, that's my favorite <laughs> quote from any movie. I swear it was on my, you know how every freshman girl a few years ago had like those boards where you, the letter boards and you like type out like different things on it. That was on my letter board <laughs> in my room. And people were coming in and they were like, what is on your board? And I'm like, it is a quote from the best movie ever made. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's my favorite quote. I use it all the time, and no one knows what I'm referencing. <laughs> so even people who've seen the movie don't know that quote, because she literally says this like as they're walking into her bedroom. It's like mm -hmm. a passing comment. Yeah, yeah. Nobody pays throw attention. Away throw away line, line but... but it's immaculate. You know the writers were so happy when they slipped that in. So good. <laughs> But nothing compared to Transformers the movie. So no, nothing no, compared I cannot, to Transformers the movie. I feel like I can't pull up like quotes off the top of my head, but when I'm watching it, I know just, every like, line, every line, every single like sound cue, especially the first half. Like I don't know why the first half more than the second half, but oh, for sure. I was when I was watching that movie. I forced my two of my siblings to watch it with me mm -hmm. um, a couple months ago, and we started it. And I literally was just saying, I was like, "Let's see how far I can get into this." And I was just saying every line, and I got to a point. I was like, "You know what? 
I'm just gonna stop because this is kind of tiring. <laughs> but I know like every word to that movie. It's like yeah. this is probably something I should be embarrassed of, but I'm not. Yeah. So we're moving forward. But that was my Nightmare Before Christmas experience. That was kind of not super disappointing, but it was just kind of eh. Um, and then I watched immediately after that, I watched Bo Burnham's Inside, which I had heard a lot of the music from it, just being on TikTok, but then also just listening to the soundtrack. But I hadn't sat down to actually watch the special in full until Friday. And thoughts on that was, you know, he's brilliant. That's I think that's all I need to say about that. I uh, was super impressed with it, what he was able to do just in, you know, literally one space in his house and how he was able to um, transform it for so many different reasons. And then obviously just the thematic, all the thematic things he's able to portray in that special, just immaculate. I don't know. Yeah. I was really surprised it took off the way it did. Sure. Because he was not, like, he was big, but not didn't really have what i consider like a wide reaching brand of comedy yeah i think he he kind of he definitely lived i knew who he was for a long time because i was definitely in that um you know underground um underground i don't know why i'm saying underground that's <laughs> dopey no but um the you know just he was very popular on like tumblr and yeah. then I was actually not really on Tumblr um, in like the early 2010s, but um, I was on Pinterest a lot. And Pinterest was kind of like the overflow of everything on Tumblr ended up on Pinterest. Yeah. Um, so it was like filtered Tumblr, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and so I was kind of exposed to stuff through that. But I think, correct me if I'm wrong, eighth grade came out before Inside did, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Far before because it was released pre-pandemic. Yeah. So, um, or at least filmed pre-pandemic pre-pandemic i'm sure that probably contributed to it being having a larger push and i mean and it was a netflix special but i mean i think that probably he gained more traction within the industry mm -hmm. so then after eighth grade came out i'm sure that helped in his reach following that because then you had he already had people who were now part of the industry paying attention to him who then watched inside and were like Oh hey, this is great! All of the people that are following me, you guys should watch this. Yeah. So I mean, I could be wrong, but I would guess that that contributed to the popularity of Inside. Yeah, and I think he's starting to do. He's one of those people who I, I feel like does does what he wants to do. Oh, absolutely. Doesn't do anything for anyone else, and so it's it's nice to see him doing more. And I think definitely after that, I think he's going to be able to get more opportunities to do more. Sure. He was in Promising Young Women yep. last year as well. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see more from him because I think yeah. he has a really creative and interesting mind to... Uh, I think he has the potential to be one of... I mean, he's obviously already done a lot of really great work, but I think he has the potential to be one of the best... I, I say that in a weird... Best is such a weird word but i you know and i don't want to say like genius because i also hate that word but i think he has the potential to be one of like the next big creators in hollywood yeah so yeah for sure that's um, kind of yeah <laughs> sorry that was a weird way <laughs> no, to no, no. wrap that but i understand uh, that was that was kind of my my uh my my friday evening i watched those back to back because they're probably pretty short nightmare before yeah. christmas and inside so it was my double feature for the evening um and then friday i watched saturday sorry saturday i watched woman in black with uh, i don't know if you've seen daniel it. Radcliffe. Yeah, yeah daniel radcliffe kind of a gothic horror film um 
Richard E. Grant is in it, um, which is a really random thing, but he is. Um, I don't know. It was it was a horror film. I don't know. I feel like I am not someone who should really have any... I watched the movie, but I don't think I should probably comment on it much because I'm not a horror film aficionado. I've not really... I didn't grow up on them. My family isn't really into them. And so I didn't really... I think the first horror film I ever watched... I mean, I'm not going to count. I don't really know that. Do we even count Get Out as a horror film? I don't know that that really fully counts as a horror film. But beyond that, and like some like Alfred Hitchcock stuff and like Twilight Zone, I really hadn't seen anything until I started college. And I wouldn't say that I am like deeply entrenched in it. I mean, we went and watched Last Night in Soho. Yeah. But I would not have gone to go see Last Night in Soho, probably, if it hadn't been for the fact that Edgar Wright was directing. It was set in the 60s and the it looked like a beautiful movie. I probably yeah. wouldn't have gone to go see it. So um, that I'm just going to say that I've watched that. So just know, I guess, for anyone listening, be aware that that has been checked off. I can add it to my watch list on Letterboxd. Letterboxd. So in case you're wondering, what about you? Did you watch anything crazy that you're... Sorry, we've just been talking about everything that I watched. No, no, but... that's good. I haven't... I feel like I've been watching more TV recently. Same. But I'm trying to watch more and more films i watched aliens for the first time okay and just a good like solid movie yeah i was like wow <laughs> like, james james cameron just knows how to make just films that are just like enjoyable and i was like i'm into this this is fun and then when it was done i was like cool that was great so you're not an active hater of sigourney Weaver? no okay love to hear a lot i like her but a lot of people I know a lot of people who fiercely dislike her as an actress. Like, don't really understand it, but I know that it's maybe a subsect of the population that exists. Outside of Alien? I don't know. I thought she was fine in Alien and Aliens. <laughs> You're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What... <laughs> Raise his shoulders. Yeah. Question. I don't know what their problem with her is. Uh, there's a, a long backstory as to, to why I watch this. But, okay. Uh, I won't get into it. I watched okay. The Artist. All um, right. Oh, I haven't seen that yet, but I've been wanting to. That um, was... Sorry, go ahead. I've been talking so much. Go ahead. The, um, it won Best Picture. 2013? 2011. 2011. Well, way earlier the than year of 2011, the 2012 Oscars. Yes. Split, okay. Whatever. And also won Best Actor, which I was like... Didn't know how you felt about... Um, well, here's the thing. It was very much an homage to silent era films. Of course. And that was it. Mm. Like, the plot was a lot of, like, this dude's really arrogant and full of himself and is just kind of terrible. And then this young actress comes along and, like... Fixes him. Fixes him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... And I was like, that's... I mean, it just goes to show how much Hollywood loves talking about Hollywood. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I haven't seen it. I've been wanting to watch it because that was the first movie that I can remember, like, tracking award season mm -hmm. and noting who had won Best Picture. So I distinctly remember, like, pull, being sat behind my dad's huge desktop in his office and, like, pulling up MSNBC as, <laughs> like, the homepage, and it was, like, black and white feature the artist wins best picture at the oscars and i was like oh cool and then i looked at the rating and i'm like you know 10 or i was 11 probably i would have been no i would have just turned 12 
my family was very specific about that stuff and i was like i can't watch it i won't watch it yeah um <laughs> Yeah, it was fine. The the best actor, and also one best actor. Right. Which I was like, I understand that he's doing a lot by not talking, and like all of his acting has to be physical. Physical, and not only that, but it's not like in silent era films, they were much more, you know, animated with their movements because there was no sound and no talking, but he was just playing it like you would a drama today. Mm-hmm. Um, but also silent. So I understand that there's a lot of emotion you have to convey like that. But I was like, I feel like it's not like super, super special. I mean, who were some of the other nominees that year? That's what I was just thinking about. Because I was going to say, depending on who the other nominees were, I feel like that probably would have hurt as a someone else who was nominated that year if it felt like you lost out because of the shtick in this other movie. You're like, oh, great. They decided they were going to pay homage to silent cinema so now i'm gonna lose to this guy because he didn't have to talk the whole movie. um i was thinking of two of these when i was thinking about who else um the the main ones that i'm i'm thinking of are brad pitt and moneyball oh he was good in Moneyball. yeah he was good in moneyball I and movie. i haven't seen tinker taylor soldier spy but gary oldman was nominated for that. George Clooney was nominated for The Descendants, and Dean Demian Berg. Damien? I have no idea how to say this name. <laughs> Do you wanna, sure, you I can take a, a crack at it. I don't know that I'll be able to tell you. Oh no, Bichir? I don't know. It looks French. Yeah. Demian Bichir. I have no idea. I'm just that making it up. Right. I have absolutely. I have no, no idea. Clue. I've never heard of that. Movie is it a foreign film? I bet. I think there's a chance that it is. Yeah. Anyway. I was just like, I feel like I would have went for Pitt in Moneyball. I think probably it's it's also difficult looking back on it in retrospect. Like, you know, the Oscars, they, you know, they kind of put their list. They're like, oh, yeah, the winner. And then, you know, some of the movies you look back and you're like, really? That movie compared to all of the other ones that won that year? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And 2010's the one that I think of with that. Because the King's Speech won over the social network and oh, a bunch yeah. of other things. Yeah, and Colin Firth. I mean, I've seen the King's Speech. The King's Speech is good, but it did not have the cultural impact that social network did in any way. And, yeah. I mean, the number of people who I have seen lip sync the, um, sorry, my, uh, my, wait, what is it? My sorry, Prada's my and the Dragons and the Dragons with my, um, with my something and my FU flip flops. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that scene is. That scene is um, will go down, I think, in the cultural zeitgeist for at least a while. It'll stick around, but yes, definitely, social network seems to have had a has had more longevity um, than King's Speech. And honestly, it probably also has to do with the fact that Facebook, or I'm sorry, <clears throat> Meta, yeah. has, has, is you know such a prevalent part of society. Which this is also this is a this is completely off topic. Well. It's tangential to what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, Meta, really? They were like, yes, we're currently going through all of these hearings with the Senate. Let's lead. Let's lean into that corporate villainy branding that we've got going on. I'm like, really, Meta? Meta, <laughs> Meta just makes you. It's incriminating. The name that you've picked is incriminating of yourself. It's insane. Yeah. I don't know. It was a choice. It was a choice. Yeah. <laughs> But that, that doesn't have anything to do with the social network, nor does yeah. it have anything to do with the artist. Um, 
but yeah anyways yeah it was just like a quick yeah, yeah i watched it and was like thinking about it in the context of the oscars and was like but that's uh, yeah. that's the oscars that's the oscars you that's know? the oscars it's it's a show it's we get we like watching people dress up and yeah. you know sometimes they get really right and sometimes they get really wrong and you know what it's the fun. one thing i do appreciate about the oscars that you know the oscars gets a lot of things wrong let's acknowledge that there's you know inclusion's not always great there's a lot of things that the oscars have done wrong but i do like that the oscars highlight films generally that probably would not get the same amount of traction if awards shows weren't a thing yeah like i i wonder what the film landscape would look like if award season was not a thing i agree yeah yeah because like i don't think i would have seeked out nomadland had it not been for the oscars well and, and i think a lot of people are like that right like they they see that all of these things are like you know all of these movies are getting nominated for things and they're like oh this actor's in it okay well maybe we should look at this movie that's maybe only a one or two million dollar budget film compared to you know these big flashy theatrical spectacles that you go see in the summer you know your summer blockbusters um and i think in a lot of ways these you know these award shows have helped preserve some of the um has helped to preserve original content actually um yeah, yeah. so i mean obviously festival circuits and stuff but like all of those are you know, continue like all pointing towards the award shows mm -hmm. at the end of the year. So, um, I don't know. That's again sort of off topic, but that that's kind of my thought process currently. Is that yeah, they're imperfect. They kind of suck, but also they do serve a purpose in um, preserving some aspects of cinema. Yeah, yeah, and especially I agree about original. I feel like a lot, not much of that big franchise stuff that sort of rules the box office makes it what makes its way into the yeah. to the award season every once in a while there's some like special effects stuff which is definitely worthy of praise but other than that everything else is kind of sidelined for the more original and smaller productions yeah it is interesting it is interesting i would it is interesting seeing how some people get upset when large movies like you know gen, members of the general public get upset that some large movies aren't being honored at the oscars i don't know if you've not seen that online that some people i don't know it is interesting i spend too much time online it's fine <laughs> um but they'll be like why why is this movie not getting nominated for all of these things and i don't know i i just i feel like they typically are top of the line when it comes to technical achievements and they tend to get nominated like if they get nominated for things they're getting nominated in the technical categories which i personally think are the categories that they're worthy of being nominated for i don't typically think that they're worthy of being nominated for you know best adapted screenplay and they're not going to be eligible for best original screenplay because they're not original pieces they're yeah. all franchise works um but yeah sorry i know that that, that was probably a longer tangent than we intended to talk about um award shows that wasn't sorry yeah. No, you know? well, I mean, today's just we're talking about anything just and rambling, everything. So. Anything and everything all yeah. the time. Um, quickly, I'll just touch on have you ever seen uh, Cowboy Bebop? No, I haven't. And okay. I feel like a terrible person for having not seen it. That's okay. Um, I'm going to just recommend it to you again okay. because it's, it's getting a Netflix live action adaptation in about a month. And so I went back and watched it and I've seen about 75% of it before. 
but stopped. Just I think I just got distracted by other things, honestly. And um, returning back to it, I was like, I can't believe I stopped watching this. Like it's so good between like it's just a mix of genres and it sets a really interesting tone that's like you can have episodes where like oh you know we're gonna go have fun and like chase this welsh corgi around (laughs) you know and um because the person who kidnapped him there's like a bounty on his head so we're gonna chase after this guy who's also chasing after this corgi who escaped you know for 20 minutes and like that's the episode and then there's other ones where it's like you see people like really struggling in like this world where there's the world economy it kind of seems like has kind of collapsed and the world's kind of run by like crime syndicates and the police don't really have much of a handle on everything and that's why they're hiring out bounty hunters and stuff and you get this real like melancholy feeling throughout like the entire episode or episodes you know and it's just like i don't think i can name another show that handles both like fun action adventure and melancholy and they can just like juggle the two and it Mm -hmm. works perfectly and then on top of that it's like the perfect mix of a noir and a western and sci-fi and it's like i don't know how you and the the score is all jazz like i don't know how you take all these different things and just mush them together and it comes out as something cohesive and really really great yeah i'd like to talk about it on a podcast with someone and just go through and talk about every episode but yeah those are like my general thoughts on it do an episode by episode breakdown of it yeah yeah because just as i was watching it i was just taking notes and was like this episode's great because of this and this one's just like really just like hits you at the end and stuff and it's like yeah i can't believe i like stopped halfway through and like haven't watched it until now but it's on Netflix now, so hey, hopefully means... people will check it out before the live action one comes out. Yeah, when is that coming out? Uh, the seventeenth, maybe. I don't so know. So it's creeping up on. Yes, yeah. two weeks, three weeks. I don't remember so exactly. But um, there's been a couple of trailers released, and people, it's like gotten like mixed, uh, and I'm yeah. kind of feeling mixed about it too. Um, I was excited when the first one came out and then excited when the second one came out and then the third one came out and I was like, I'm still excited, but now I'm a little nervous. I feel live out live action adaptations are very tricky and I think rarely done well. Yeah. I just I don't know. I I mean I get excited when they're done well, but I it doesn't happen super often, I feel like. Yeah. Including the Disney movies. Controversial, but not actually controversial. I no, think most people I think most don't. people don't. I think my most controversial take on that is that I did not like the Beauty and the Beast live action live action adaptation. Yeah, I think I think that one people generally liked. I don't know. I think I, don't the, know. I, I think the I two haven't seen them. I think the two that were probably most popular are that one and then Cinderella. I have no qualms with the Cinderella adaptation. Mm-hmm. Actually, I really liked that one. I think that was smart to not have the mice talk. That has nothing to do with anything else, but I was like, you know what? You knew your limits. <laughs> you pulled back <laughs> so good on you, Kenneth Branagh. I don't know. But, um, yeah. No, I'll be interested to see. I'll have to, I'll have to check it out. I'll have to check it out. Because it has, it, I keep hearing about it. It's like, cowboy Viva. Like, okay. Yeah. I, I guess? Question mark? But yeah. it sounds uh, like I'll have to give it a watch. Like, it's, it's, a, it can be an acquired taste 
at points, but I think that if you're someone who really appreciates film and genre and just watching someone like play with all of that, it's it's really, really fun to just sit back and watch someone just work, you know? Adds to watch list. <laughs> yeah. Shoot, I forgot what I was going to talk about next. I had something and now it's gone. I'm sorry. I've <laughs> everything out of your mind. That's all good. I think we're coming to the end. Is there anything else you want to talk about quick? Or I don't know that there's anything I can touch on this quickly. I don't know. I, I started You Season 3. You yeah. know, I, I'm only about, I think I'm four episodes into it, so I, I really can't say anything about it. But I'm into, I started into it. Um, but I guess that's my only other my only other watching viewing habit update i guess for yeah the recent the last couple weeks i think i have a little bit that i was going to do at the beginning of the show but um i saved it till now and it'll make more, a little bit more sense <laughs> okay <laughs> once i uh, um in a little bit but um basically when we're recording this yesterday it was halloween and um i really wanted some candy <laughs> okay um, okay because I'm 21, so I'm not going out trick-or-treating, and uh, there was no candy in my house. So I drove out to Walmart and was like, all right, I'll pick up a bag that's like, you know, an assortment of candy that you can like hand out to your, you know, kids coming to your door and stuff. They had nothing. No. But I went to their, they had no like Halloween candy where it was like, you know, like an assortment and it's got like Hershey's bars and yeah. Reese's and almond joys in there, whatever. And then I went to their, they had like a little seasonal aisle. Went into that. They had Christmas candy out. It, it was Halloween yesterday. This was yesterday when I went to the store. Yeah. Halloween. Wild. People, Christmas just gets pushed earlier and earlier every year. And I, I don't know how to feel. So to give you the feeling that I had yesterday, I brought you a little um oh thank you it's a you guys can't see it well, let's <laughs> it's a it, shall it's we? a pumpkin um egg but inside is something that i found <laughs> in the halloween candy and it's a gingerbread kit kat that's so weird yeah. i've never heard of that it's i'm excited to try this actually yeah, um, eating is forbidden in this room but i'm allowing say, it okay um, you want to try it on yes, camera uh, have yeah. you tried this already i have yeah okay all right I'm gonna see how this tastes. I'm very curious to see. Oh my gosh, this is so weird. I'm ex- I, I like gingerbread things and I like Kit Kats. Um, I'm a little scared. My prediction is this is gonna be super sweet and I'm not gonna like it, but we're gonna find out. I felt like I was Brittany Broski in that moment, like the number of um, facial expressions I was making and reacting to that. You can't see it, but I felt like my face went about five different directions in the span of half a second. Um, it it does taste like gingerbread. Um, yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. It's it is it it hit me and at first it tasted like um one of those you know those caramel caramel candies that like old women carry in the yeah, purse yeah, yeah. and like here try one yeah, candy. Yeah. That's kind of what it tastes like at first when I hit it, and then like the longer I chewed on it, I think. I think I don't like whatever the whatever they put into the white chocolate outer layer. Yeah. But I like the cookie. Yeah. Um, so I've been watching the Great British Breaking Show. <laughs> <laughs> immaculate transition. Immaculate. Yeah, my my girlfriend was like uh watching it. <laughs> yeah. Um my girlfriend was like watching an episode with me and I was like, okay. 
and then I went back and watched the. <laughs> we like she just like you know just start in the middle of the season with me. So I'm like okay, um, I went back and watched <laughs> the first half of the season that I hadn't seen, and now I'm like I think I should pick up baking. <laughs> you should. Baking brings such an immense. I love baking. It's like the best stress reliever. Of course, then like you stress eat afterwards, and that affects you in other ways. Well, but you know, you, <laughs> but you the, bake something good, you get to eat it. The actual, the yeah, exactly. You get to make your cake and eat it too. Um, no, I think you should. You absolutely should, and you should try. You should start by making an improved gingerbread Kit Kat. I think that should be the start. Your your launching point. Um, just make sure there's no soggy bottoms, um, and then it's not soggy. Yeah, um, I will do my best. <laughs> um, thank you, Julia, for coming on today. Of course, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, next week, I, I say next week every single week that we record. I come in and I'm like, oh yeah, this is what we're talking about this week, and then next week we're going to talk about this. These aren't getting released <laughs> in any way, shape, or form on schedule. So. Um, Whenever this comes out, if you want to um, prepare in anticipation for the next episode, I will be joined by Sam, who is the director of TUTV here at uh, the University of Tulsa. And we're going to be talking about the 50 greatest cartoons. It was a list that was curated by an animation historian in 1994. He talked to like a thousand animators and was like, what are the best cartoons? And they're all short. They're all like, about seven minutes there's a couple that are like a half an hour um but we'll be talking about those and if you want to watch them um google them <laughs> youtube vimeo daily motion <laughs> i'm um sam said he had to go to a really sketchy looking russian website to watch one Gosh. of them um but yeah if you find um me on letterbox i've cloned the the list of them so they're on there um, I think it's just my name, Ryan Cercelli, C-I-R-C-E-L-L-I. Yeah, so if you want to go on there and watch some of them or all of them, we're going to talk about them next week with Sam. Um, thank you again, Julia, for coming on. And yeah, that's it. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Ryan.